Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushable. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of September 10, 2017. Thank goodness August has passed, and at least here in Kentucky, daytime temperatures are, at least for a few days, in the 70s, and the nights are in the 50s. Indian summer is yet to come, with more high temperatures, but for now, fall is here. With fall comes football. This past week, there was an interesting story about a blind football player at the University of Southern California. The headline reads, USC's Jake Olson snaps for PAT, something I'll remember forever. The article appeared on ESPN.com. Los Angeles, blind long snapper Jake Olson is officially a letter winner at USC. Following a Trojans touchdown that put Saturday's game against Western Michigan out of reach late in the fourth quarter, Olson came on and snapped for a successful extra point. Western Michigan was aware that Olson was entering the game and did not rush the kick. USD won 49 to 31. I loved being out there, Olson said. It was an awesome feeling, something that I'll remember forever, getting to snap at USC as a football player. Olson was born with retinoblastoma, a form of eye cancer, and he lost his left eye when he was 10 months old. In 2009, at age 12, he learned he needed surgery to remove his right eye, which would completely cost him his vision. Olson developed a close relationship with the USC program at the time and spent the night before his surgery watching USC practice. USC coach Clay Helton was complimentary of Western Michigan coach Tim Lester for signing off on Olson's debut. Very special moment for us with a very special guy at the end of the game, Helton said. I commend and I thank Coach Lester and the entire Western Michigan family for the honor of getting what I think is a very special person in Jake Olson in. Olson knew going into the game that if the opportunity presented itself, he might get a chance to snap. The game remained close, however, which made his chances seem unlikely. That changed when Marvel Tell third returned an interception 37 yards for a touchdown with 3.13 left in the fourth quarter, making the score 48-31. to Helton asked Olsen if he was ready, and he was. I tried to suppress my emotions as much as I could because I have a job to do, and I wanted to make sure I got that done, Olsen said. Then, tonight, I can look at videos and get all emotional all over. It was very special hearing my name being called over the PA system. In the stands, his parents, Brian and Cindy, watched with a mix of nervousness and excitement. I didn't want him to be put in when it was really close, Cindy said. I, like, thought, don't give him that pressure. I would be scared even if he isn't. He went in there like a pro, and it was a great snap. Olson officially joined the team in 2015, thanks to a scholarship 
with the Swim With Mike program, and he had snapped in two past spring games. He told ESPN last year that his goal was to eventually win the starting job for the Trojans. I just have to continue to take steps toward that until everyone is on board and some of those doubts that I know some coaches have are gone, he said in the spring of 2016. I'm waiting to have more opportunities to show the coaches that I have the talent to go out there and snap. Olsen spent two years as the starting varsity long snapper on field goals and extra points at Orange Lutheran High School in Southern California. Helton said there probably will be more opportunities for Olsen to play in the future. On September 6, Tony Stevens from the ACB National Office posted the following on leadership. Earlier today, the American Council of the Blind announced that Congress moved on legislation regarding the pathway forward for autonomous vehicles. The action taken was in the House of Representatives, who passed the Self-Drive Act. The legislation now moves into the Senate, which has been engaged on the issue as well for over the past several months, and we expect the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation to now take the lead on mapping forward the future of autonomous vehicles on our highways. For this reason, we urge ACB affiliate leaders to reach out to the senators and call for legislation that assures equal access for Americans who are blind or visually impaired. While the House legislation takes action that would bring disability advocates to the table with industry and regulators on critical issues like pedestrian safety and accessibility, we call for the Senate to provide additional guarantees that states will not take measures to exclude individuals with disabilities like blindness from full and equal participation on the full range of benefits that come through the launch of highly and fully autonomous vehicles on our streets. This includes concerns around not just physical and technical accessibility, but other areas as well, such as those encompassing licensing. Mark Reichert, the Director of Public Policy with the American Foundation for the Blind and the Chair of the ACB Resolutions Committee, joins us on page two to discuss some of his concerns, not only with the House legislation, but also with some of the questions that could arise concerning the use of autonomous vehicles by blind and visually impaired persons as well as others. And on page three is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two. Mark Record is the Director of Public Policy with the American Foundation for the Blind, and he posted a message yesterday about a bill that had passed the House of Representatives that deal, deals with um, autonomous cars and the, um, the very exciting possibility of driverless cars and how th they will be able to interact with blind and visually impaired people. The legislation, in Mark's opinion, leaves a lot to be desired, and so we're going to chat with him this morning, this being September 7, um, about the legislation and what he thinks needs to happen on the Senate side. So welcome to Sound Prince, Mark. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me again. We always enjoy having you come because you have a lot to say about legislation, and you can draw 
pretty good word pictures of what needs to happen and what's going on out there in the um, community as far as Congress is concerned and, you know, their little, um, their little community of, of how to supposedly make things happen. So, exactly. <laughs> so, not make things happen as the case may. Well, what's yeah, it depends on how you look at it. Correct. <laughs> on what's going on on a particular day. And, and I think this is interesting because I, I think that, you know, we have the impression that they're really not, that nothing is, is happening, uh, be it good or bad. Everybody's just kind of sitting around, um, you know, having a big war with each other. And yet uh, this bill, for example, passed the House with a lot of bipartisan support. Whether, whether you know, it's, it, we, we like what's in it or we don't, it, it passed. So, um, so there are things happening. So tell us about this legislation and your view of what's happening with it. Sure. Well, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, it, it, your point is such a good one, which is that so much of what is in the news gets focused on, you know, of course, things that uh, get a lot of uh, limelight, whether they deserve it or not. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of other stuff that is going on that continues to go on. I mean, the the you know the fact is that while all of us here on Thursday, September seven are hearing news about, you know, a deal that Mr. Trump may have made with some of the Democrats in leadership, you know, on spending issues and other things and the debt. Uh, the reality of it is there's lots of other stuff kicking around that we are following here at AFB, and I'm sure other groups are as well, mm-hmm. uh, that don't get a lot of attention, like funding for older uh, services for older people and all of that. And that stuff keeps moving forward. And by the way, I'll just take a total uh, aside here and say things are looking pretty good uh, for funding for, for, for the Older Blind program in terms of making sure that it stays in place. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, there are lots of issues like that that are going on, and uh, while it seems like things are completely broken down, they are, in fact, actually moving. And I've, I'm emphasizing or underscoring your good point or good observation because I think the reason why a number of groups, including some groups in the blindness or disability community, are not opposing the uh, House bill that we're going to describe here in a second, uh, and are even, in fact, talking about it in, you know, some favorable ways, is because I think we, uh, you know, need to remember that it's imp- that every stage of the legislative process in which a piece of legislation makes its way toward ultimately the president's desk for, you know, signature potentially, mm-hmm. uh, is in some respects a good thing. I mean, the reality of it is, we're not going to have, we're not going to have a law passed or signed, you know, signed into. We're not going to have a bill signed into law uh, if neither the House nor the Senate does what they need to do. Even passing something that is not very uh, particularly detailed or you know particularly useful is nevertheless a stage in the legislative process that has to be accomplished. Correct. Uh, and so, in that sense, it's a good thing. So. When we actually look at the text of this bill, and the bill number is H.R. 3388, and the the sort of the short title, as they call it, the short title of the bill is the Self-Drive Act, and self-drive, those two words, uh, are all in capitals. I believe they stand for something. Somebody over multiple beers or several (laughs) flips or something, you know, uh, sat up and thought through what all of those letters might mean to to, to spell out the phrase self-drive. So they do stand for something, but I don't remember what it is. Somebody didn't have enough to do. 
<laughs> right. Um, but, you know, they're, they're trying to be creative over there. So right. congratulations. Hats off to them. Um, if you were to crack open a copy of the bill that was passed yesterday, and by the way, it was passed under something called suspension. It's a suspension of the rules and where they basically say, you know, that they, they, they do this procedure when they know that there's going to be broad support for something or something is not particularly controversial at all. And they want to just speed through the just process. Just get it through yeah. there. Yeah. Right. Get so, it out of the way and get on to something else. That's that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as opposed to a long drawn out process with amendments and people really, you know, going at it and debate and all that. Mm-hmm. So what that tells you is that yes, there is broad bipartisan support for this for this legislation. They wanted to get it out and they did. If you were to crack open a copy of that bill, HR thirty three eighty eight, you'd see lots of stuff in there for the automotive industry uh, to essentially, uh, in the minds of the proponents of this bill spur the kind of technological uh, innovation and experimentation and testing that really does need to happen, not even so much for issues that we care about in blindness or disability to allow folks with disabilities to be able to make use of these cars independently, but to ultimately, you know, get these vehicles on the road and test them out and see how well they do. There's obviously already been some of this work done by some uh, major uh, groups, and indeed uh, at the state level, uh, a number of you know companies, the Googles of the world, and many others have you know successfully had state legislatures clear the way for some of these vehicles to be you know on the road, and they've been on the road some of them for a good long while, racking up literally hundreds of thousands of miles of you know test driving, if mm-hmm. you will, mm-hmm. uh, and that is one of the things, of course, that this bill uh, that came out of the House yesterday, H.R. 3388, uh, tries to to uh, make sense of, right? Rather than simply saying, oh, we're going to leave it to individual states to decide at the state level, uh, you know, whether this or that vehicle is, you know, roadworthy enough mm-hmm. uh, to test or, you know, all of that. We're going to, we're going to make, we're going to standardize that and make sure that the federal rules get out of the way so that manufacturers can do what they want to do. And then we are going to say to those companies, um, you, uh, you you know, go ahead and, and, and put a certain number of these vehicles on the road uh, over the course of time, and there's lots of details in the bill about how to do that. And, and, and we're also going to say to you, you know what, when you do that, uh, we acknowledge that you meaning the Congress now, we acknowledge that you are going to probably have to cut some corners a little bit uh, to get those vehicles on the road and test them. So, you know, that means we need to exempt a certain number of these cars from the rather detailed safety uh, standards that are at in place at the federal level. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I cannot fully grasp why it's necessary for us <laughs> to loosen safety standards uh-huh. uh, uh, it sounds really counterintuitive, but as it, it does. <laughs> as it was explained to me, um, you know, there are certain safety standards such as uh, a vehicle must have a, you know, steering column and a steering wheel, uh, and you know, the, yes. which, which allows the driver to, you know, effectively maintain right. control over the vehicle. And so, that might not be necessary. That's in an a... obvious <laughs> example, right? I mean, yes. if you have a yeah. self-driving yeah. car. Uh, there's really no point in having a steering wheel there. But, of course, the, the the real challenge is, you know, we're not going overnight from, 
you know, our standard conventional automobile to a fully uh, automated or fully autonomous vehicle. Mm-hmm. There will be various stages along the way where essentially at the early stages, the you know driverless vehicles will essentially have features in them that are almost like glorified cruise control mechanisms, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Where it's not just that you don't have to have your foot on the gas pedal, but that you, in fact, have this car linked up through the various technologies that exist uh, to allow that car to propel itself, you know, uh, in other conditions, not just when you've said, okay, I'm taking my foot off the gas and maintain speed, but mm-hmm. it'll actually help to navigate in some set in some settings, but nevertheless require the driver to engage with that car. Right. I mean, I'm speaking very in generalities now, but yeah. in any case, as the automotive industry, you know, looks at these various technologies and refines how they work and figures out what the challenges are, uh, they have asked, and the House of Representatives has agreed through H.R. 3388 to give flexibility to the automotive industry and to loosen some of those federal standards. Well, of course, there are lots of um, uh, stakeholder groups who are very concerned about any number of things. For example, in the 21st century, if you have a car that is being manipulated, uh, 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 that is that is you know, under its own steam, as it were, and does not require your intervention, mm-hmm. uh, it may very well be connected to satellites. It may be connected to the Internet in some fashion. There may very well be, you know, uploadable and downloadable data from that car, if not to other vehicles, certainly maybe to a, uh, to a network in some fashion. So mm-hmm. privacy advocates are very concerned about that. Yes. And, you know, you, you can imagine uh, the almost left-behind series like horrible hypotheticals where Big Brother is controlling your car, takes it over, uh, you know, from a distance, or, you know, maybe someone hacks into your vehicle and fiddles around with things or figures out, you know, uh, downloads all of the destinations you've been to. What if, you know, what if someone you don't like wants to track where you've been? Uh, Those are all those kinds of things that I think people are very concerned about. They want to make sure that whatever technologies are used to have these vehicles be truly autonomous, uh, that that technology is protected and that the information that's related to it is safe. And then there are other people who are very concerned about this notion of, uh, you know, automobile safety and the extent to which uh, loosening federal standards to allow innovation doesn't end up meaning that we put people at risk. And so we need to you know, uh, advocates in the safety area, automotive safety area, are concerned. And then, of course, it comes to us. And our concern as folks with disabilities, we've been very clear with both the House and the Senate that legislation dealing with autonomous vehicles must take head-on the whole issue of accessibility of the user interface of that vehicle. I mean, if a blind person pops in a in, a, in one of these amazing, fully autonomous vehicles, whenever that day might come, and that blind person is not able to, in some respects, communicate with that car in whatever fashion to say, "Take me to the grocery store." I, I mean, what a what a what a travesty that would be. We'd have this technology that could be incredibly revolutionary, but because we don't have a user interface that we right. can use. Then we're you know almost back to square one. We're going to have to have someone else enter that information for us, and we won't be able to figure out where in the heck you know uh, how, how we make it happen. So we've been very clear with both the House and the Senate that we need to have very clear language in the bills uh, 
that whatever bill comes out and goes to the president's desk must talk about the accessibility of user interfaces. And our friends in the physical disabilities world are similarly saying, uh, hey, uh, especially with things like autonomous vehicles used for public transportation, for example, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's make crystal clear that any vehicle that uh, gets uh, any automotive uh, industry player who gets to get all of these good incentives and loosening of standards so that they can experiment and all of that, you know, they shouldn't be, uh, to put it pejoratively, you know, they shouldn't be getting that, those, those benefits, those incentives on the cheap. They should make sure that they are experimenting as well with vehicles and testing out vehicles that allow folks with physical disabilities to to, to get into them and move, maneuver within them and be able to exit uh, safely. And, you know, they have a good point. So we've been making the point with both the House and the Senate that we need to see legislation that both addresses the accessibility, both physical and user interface accessibility, and also that encourages states to do the right thing. Because let's assume that we solve all the problems. Let's assume that we have an amazing, whiz-bang, fully autonomous vehicle <laughs> Mm-hmm. And what a dream! And by the way, I, I, I want I want a convertible. I, you know, <laughs> when this happens. I want a I want a beautiful you know Ford Mustang convertible. I can't see worth a darn, so I don't care what color it is. It could be chartreuse for all I care. But a, a convertible is what I want. And uh, maybe before the good Lord calls me home, I will uh, get the pleasure of riding in my own fully autonomous uh, convertible. But in any case, uh, let's let's assume you have that. Uh, vehicle and it's working great and let's even assume that blind visually impaired people can control that sucker and tell it you know where to go uh you know take me uh drive drive me over to my girlfriend so i can go pick her up that can i can i can you know enter that information okay but if states say you know what um we don't care how good the technology is the truth is all technology fails uh all to at one time or another uh, and frankly, even if the technology is demonstrated to be, you know, 99% reliable, you know, the simple truth is anything can happen. Uh, and we want to make sure that drivers or operators of these autonomous, fully autonomous vehicles can nevertheless perform certain functions. Uh, and if they can't perform certain functions, whatever those functions may be, uh, in being a responsible operator of a of a, of a driverless car, uh, then we're not going to allow them to be an operator of one of these cars. Right now, of course, states have maximum uh, flexibility and authority to be uh, the determiners of you know who they're going to allow on their roads, mm-hmm. and uh, and so and of course, along with that, naturally, our vision tests things of that uh, sort. So you can imagine a situation where uh, the state-level uh, situation you know, uh, could, could, could really get pretty involved. In a world where a car doesn't have a steering wheel and doesn't require a, an operator to do really anything, what, what does even a driver's license mean under those circumstances? Right, right. And, 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 think, about, and think about this. What if, if we can, if, are we really going to, for example, say that in a world with fully autonomous vehicles, that it will be permitted uh, to allow minor children uh, under the age of ten, let's say, to operate one of these vehicles? Uh, I mean, after all, all the child is doing is entering in, you know, grandma's address. 
Right. Um, and, and, and so why should, you know, are, are we going to restrict uh, minor children from using vehicles? I would assume we would. I would assume that we would. You would, would. think. And, 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 and how about this? Just think about the four-year-old that decides he wants to run away from home. Precisely. <laughs> Right. So, so, I think about so, my grandson when he was when he was four, and he wanted to. He got mad right. at his mom and dad, and he wanted to go over to his uh, to his grandfather's house. And he then they said, "Well, how are you going to get there?" And he said, "Well, I'll call a cab." And they said, "Well, who's going to pay for it?" Well, he'll pay for it when I get there. How are you going? How are you going to? Uh-huh. And the, and the kid got his car seat, you know, and he was going to just put it in the cab and go. <laughs> What a very responsible uh, uh, runaway! Yes, right? he takes his own car. Takes his own car seat. seat. <laughs> that's, that's very. See, that's that's a thoughtful. Now uh, he'd be know. all right in his autonomous car because he'd probably put his car seat in there too. <laughs> well, that's probably true. So, that, so that's exactly the point, right? I mean, it's a funny example, but it but it, it points out a truth, right? Which is, yes. of course, we are not going to let anyone and everyone ride in these vehicles by themselves right what what about what about the elderly uh person the older the person with dementia yes. do we really do we really will we, we'll think about the silver alarm? alerts or right. golden or, alerts whatever they got yeah yeah or how about this <laughs> what is the responsibility of let's say the adult child of mm-hmm. a very, you know, of of a significantly older person who does have dementia, mm-hmm. who says, um, "I'm I'm too busy with my job. I'm going to put mom with dementia. I'm going to put her in one of these autonomous vehicles, and 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 you know, she'll be driven to you know the hospital or to the doctor's appointment or whatever it happens, or to right. the mall. Right. I mean, the the truth is, there will be a mm-hmm. need. But on the other hand, if the person is busy and mom with dementia needs to go to the sister's house, you know, for care, then there's a solution to get her there. Correct. You know? And so we need to be thinking through uh, these these kinds of issues. And of interesting, course for the, yes. For, for mm-hmm. the disability community, uh, here's, a, here's an interesting uh, one. What about a, you know, uh, middle-aged, you know, 40, 50-year-old, a uh, person who is, you know, perfectly capable in so many other ways, but frankly, uh, has uh, intellectual disabilities—what we used to call mental retardation. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Do we? Do we? Are we prepared to say? I mean, my personal feeling as an advocate, I would hope we would say yes. But are we prepared to say that anyone, regardless of the severity of their intellectual disability, uh, is should be permitted? Uh, should be allowed, or we shouldn't get in the way of that person being able to use one of these vehicles. I, I think the point is, we need to find a way to protect the right, and it's it's a fundamental right, really, in this country, a constitutional right of people, all people, but especially, you know, in this case, people with disabilities, mm-hmm. to travel and cross state lines, and to, this is a it's you know a bedrock sort of thing in our in our in our system of government that people have a right to move about, uh, and are we really going to restrict that? Uh, for people with disabilities. And, of course, I bring all of this up to say, people might say, well, okay, come on, Mark. Um, are you really comparing blind people to five-year-olds, to people with dementia, and to people with intellectual disabilities? And I would say, you know what? You're darn right I am. Not because I think blind people are like those other folks, but because we know that there are lots of people who do think of us that way. Yes. And, and you can imagine policy being made at the state level to say, 
I don't care how autonomous these vehicles are, for their own safety, for their own oh, yeah. good, we are going to make sure that Mark, who has been blind all his life, that he is not left alone in one of those wonderful autonomous vehicles because, God forbid, something should happen to that technology and mm-hmm. he's not able to to manage it. Yeah. And so those are those are all... Whether they're legitimate questions or not, they are inevitable questions. Right, right. And, so, and you forget about all those sighted people that are out here running in, into each other and killing each other every day. You know, uh, if, if you have one example of, of Mark out there having a problem, then all of a sudden it takes on a whole different look. Correct. Yeah. So, so and, and the other thing that we have to make sure happens is even if, let's say, in the state of California, we might see... Uh, you know, a really progressive and inclusive policy that, of course, says we are, we are not only are we going to allow people with disabilities to, to travel, whoever, whatever kind of disability they may have, we're going to allow them to travel completely independently. We're not going to get in the way. We're going to celebrate it. We're going to encourage it. We want to see that happen because, after all, that means they're moving around. Maybe they're able to get a job where they could, weren't able to get a job before and blah, blah, blah. Other states may very well take a less uh, inclusive view. And then you have a situation where, um, you know, people are able to travel in one state but not in another, um, at least legally, or that, you know, the states. Mm-hmm. And, and so, in any case, we have. Well, I think one of the questions along that line is um, that, okay, so in today's world, that person can, you know, set up on their iPhone or their Android uh, an Uber or Lyft app and call and Uber or Lyft and go when they want. And they're not asking, nobody asks, is this person, um, you know, able to, um, are, are they mentally able to handle the um, scheduling this right? It just happens. Um, right. And and the same thing if it's, uh, and, and if Uber or Lyft, for example, is using a driverless car, then that would be the same kind of principle. Um, so then there's the distinction between owning the car or, you know, and, and then, well, and even will car ownership even be an issue well, that's it. in there the future? Well, that's it. people who are saying in a, in a world with autonomous vehicles, you could actually, especially in big cities, right? I yes. mean, maybe in rural areas, the, the, yeah. the, the mere fact that you have to drive 50 miles to see civilization might mean that people are going to want to own their vehicle. But you can imagine a situation where um, rather than worrying about things like parking garages and parking meters in a busy, busy street, uh, busy, busy uh, city, you just have the big bulk of the cars are autonomous and they're just simply on the road and they are and, and you you make use of a vehicle based on you just, you know, you summon it yeah. to your location. It shows up. You get in, go to your right. destination, and you get out. And people don't own vehicles. They are basically all using a fleet or several fleets right. of vehicles. Public, it's all, all public time. transportation. Then. For all intents and yeah. purposes. It yeah. could, you could imagine that. I can, I can see um, that happening because so, that car can run 24 hours a day. It doesn't get tired. It well, doesn't uh, need a nap. And... <laughs> You know, and so the fee for using it would cover, you know, it would cover all those expenses. But just think how, how, you know, you think of how, all right, this becomes a far more efficient service because that basic cost of that car is being spread out over all of the potential use of the car. 
um, and you know, continuously. But of course, what you and I are talking about right now is all in the realm of yep. it, 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 it's 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 not pure speculation and it's not pure dreaming on our part. Right. People really I, doing some serious. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think it's I think it's a but, possibility. But it is it is it, it it is a you know a good bit down the road. Yes, <laughs> it's not today, um, but. But the but the laws that are made today can affect how that possibly turns out. And we have seen in the past in the blindness world all too frequently where failure to address uh, not only in terms of technology but in terms of actual federal you know public policy mm-hmm. uh, failure to address issues right up front and from the get go from the literally from the design stage. We typically talk about you know if we fail to design a piece of technology from the ground up in an accessible way, it's really difficult to retrofit it. Well, you know, the same mm-hmm. precise principle is true with everything that we do, including the public policy process. And we have to retrofit our national approach to mm-hmm. how we're going to deal with autonomous vehicles, the implications of it, and particularly for us with disabilities who have so much at stake in this, right. uh, we could be in real deep trouble. So that's mm-hmm. why we have been urging both houses of Congress to do the right thing for us to talk about accessibility and to also address this whole question in some fashion about uh, the state licensure concept. So when we went to Capitol Hill, particularly to the House of Representatives over the last few months and have been working with the folks who ultimately brought H.R. 3388 to the floor, we said to them, and particularly yours truly, uh, made a pest of himself and said, look, I, I got to tell you, um, if if this legislation goes to the House floor without any real clear definition in it about uh, the needs of people with disabilities, particularly the need to address user interface accessibility, uh, we are going to be expressing our disappointment with it, if not opposition to it, because mm-hmm. that is a that is just simply unacceptable, particularly when people. Uh, both Democrats and Republicans, politicians and the auto industry and any number of other people uh, love to, to turn to not just the people with disabilities, but to the blindness community in particular, to, for all, as I put it in a letter I just did yesterday up to the Hill, to essentially exploit the emotional nature of putting a blind person in a car and letting that person basically, you know, be a driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they are, they are happy to exploit us for that purpose. Yeah. Isn't it amazing this blind guy can, you know, be behind the proverbial wheel, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And, and, and you know, uh, to be a very cynical, inside-the-Beltway-Washington lobbyist, which I've been accused of being on occasion, uh, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have a problem of being emotionally exploited, provided mm-hmm. provided that we get some serious, uh, you know, uh, content in exchange for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, you know, it, it is an emotional issue. Mm-hmm. And I've said this even to folks on the Hill, that unlike some of the other things that we work on, whether it's money for our programs or, you know, other things, uh, this issue is very emotional, I think, for our community because it is not just about getting around and the right to be able to travel freely, but it is, there, there, in this country in particular, Americans love their cars, and we have an, a romance with them. We have, it's part of our identity. The number of kiddos that we hear about in high school who say, you know, the two things that made me feel more like I had a you know a disability than at any other time in my life were when in you know in high school my friends would get their first job somewhere and when my friends got 
to drive. Mm-hmm. And this becomes a rite of passage, if you will, where right. these are signs of what it means to become an adult. And when a person who is blind or visually impaired doesn't experience those things, when everyone else is, it's a cl- clear divider line. If someone's having to drive you around and everybody else is getting to drive themselves, you know, how does that make you feel? So in any case, uh, we were pretty clear with both the House and the Senate that, look, we don't, we don't want to see stuff come out uh, that is uh, that doesn't really have any stuff in it in, for us. And ultimately what the House did uh, was to go a smidge in the direction uh, that we wanted them to go. So if you were to crack open a copy of that bill, H.R. 3388, and look for references to disability, really the only substantive provision that you'd see in there is a statement that says, okay, there will be uh, an advisory committee uh, of folks brought together, a national advisory committee that will be brought together, I believe, by the Department of Transportation. Uh, and uh, and this advisory committee may, may consider a number uh, of topics, and they list about 10 or so. And at the top of that list is a statement that says something like, um, you know, quote, the needs of the disabled community or the concerns of the disabled and elderly communities with respect to mobility, uh, you know, something like that. So it's very general, very sort of generic, and there is no requirement, for example, in H.R. 3388 uh, that anything that this large uh, voluntary, if you will, advisory group uh, comes up with by way of recommendations or, you know, comments, observations, that anybody has to do anything with them. Mm-hmm. And this is in stark contrast to what we have been working with, uh, working on in the Senate. Uh, on a, and, and let me just take a 30-second a detour here by saying this is one of those instances where uh, in the House, both Democrats and Republicans, the majority and the minority leadership in uh, the House responsible for moving this legislation forward. Both Democrats and Republicans uh, listened to what we had to say and rejected it. Uh, and in the Senate, we are similarly working with both the Democrats and the Republicans, the majority minority folks, uh, in the Senate Commerce Committee where this uh, stuff is, is being debated. Uh, and they, Democrats and Republicans over there, are listening more to what we have to say and have been expressing a willingness to work more. Uh, with us, so you know, I don't. So, want Mark, to, so yeah. in so in a Senate version, then um, if the Senate version comes out with more teeth in it as it relates to disabilities, then the two would need to be. Then that would be um, a conference type. Um, it, it would go to some kind of conference, or uh, they would be amended so that one bill would 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 emerge finally. Well, sure, and that. Would, or more, uh, if history is our guide, mm-hmm. you know, in in recent history, there's not been a whole lot of conference committees. I can't honestly mm-hmm. remember the last time where, you know, particularly a disability-related thing or one of these mm-hmm. substantive issues like this has had a straight-up, open, public, uh, publicly observable, you know, conference mm-hmm. committee where mm-hmm. the House and the Senate. Uh, leadership appoint various people to a joint committee, and they sit around openly, and you can watch it on C-SPAN and <laughs> watch them haggle it out. Typically, what happens, and frankly, I, I think we saw this 
uh, with the Rehabilitation Act, for example, which took forever to get reauthorized, uh, as some advocates will remember. Uh, you know, ultimately, they did not have a conference committee resolve all those various issues and get uh, to to yes. It was all sort of done behind closed doors. And so the same kind of thing could happen here. So Mm -hmm. the House passed its version of this thing. Uh, It goes over to the Senate, and and the Senate can choose to completely ignore it. Uh, The Senate could go forward with its package of stuff. And so far, we've been told by majority and minority leadership in the Senate that, yes, uh, some of the elements of the Senate bill that we are putting together will be uh, a, you know, standalone working group to work on the technical issues around accessibility, uh, for sure. And um, ultimately, we're going to give authority to the Secretary of Transportation to issue regs uh, at some point. Uh on these issues, which would mean that there would be some expectation that as oh, yeah. mm-hmm. vehicles become more and more uh, autonomous, right. uh, that we'll be able to, uh, uh, that they'll be required to, to have user interfaces that we can use. So hopefully what will happen then is that, you know, the Senate will move forward with a package like that. They'll haggle about various things. Uh, and then uh, the Senate could, frankly, pass its own version and send it over to the House and expect that the House adopt it as is. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, is that realistic to assume that they would do? I think any observer of how this Congress and, frankly, the several you know, previous Congresses have been uh, operating, uh, I think anything is possible. Yes. Uh, you know, certainly the health care debate has shown us that even, you know, the majority in both chambers was not able to come to, a, you know, agreement on some things. Uh, and so, you know, it's anyone's guess uh, in terms of process. The biggest thing that I'm worried about is to make sure that the Senate version actually does go farther uh, and has some very specific requirements about our stuff in it. Because in my view, if the House version were to become law, if H.R. 3388, as they passed it yesterday, becomes law, um, then all we're going to get out of that whole process. It's an advisory committee. A giant group mm. of human beings, yeah. many of whom may not have any expertise in our issues, will be very lucky if some of our groups get to be members of that thing. Uh-huh. Uh, and they will talk in very generic terms about, yes, how wonderful it would be if people with disabilities can do certain things with these vehicles, but there will be nothing in the way of an expectation on automotive manufacturers to... Uh, really abide by some expectation that they make those cars usable by us. Now, right. the one thing I need to close with is that a lot of folks would say, Mark, you're really being pretty pessimistic, because the truth is that, you know, uh, automotive manufacturers, uh, have, you know, different stakeholder, stakeholders who are interested in these autonomous vehicles, you know, they've, they've, they've got the bug. Uh, to want to do some really cool, innovative things. And, and, and Mark, if you don't think that they, uh, you know, or if you think that all they're doing is using the blindness, uh, you know, people who are blind as drivers as just some kind of, you know, PR uh, thing, that's really pretty cynical of you. Because, you know, these automotive manufacturers, they get it. They understand that they want to be able to do cool and neat things. And ultimately, they want to have a situation where a car relies uh, not at all on a human being for 
controlling that vehicle. The, in fact, people who've done studies on this would say uh, the the less uh, that a you know a vehicle relies on a human to intervene and do things, uh, the safer that that whole driving experience is going to be because it'll be the cars that will be in charge and not people who make you know boneheaded decisions about things and right so they would say the <clears throat> automotive industry is already heading in the right direction i would say that may be true but i think we we know as a community as a blindness community we know all too well how technology has blessed us and cursed us over the course of time and while some technology is great and has you know been a real liberator for us right at the same time as that's happened we've also seen examples where you know overnight blind people for example who were using computers uh in a you know text-based world a dos-based world <laughs> overnight uh that went away because uh folks moved to a graphical interface that wouldn't allow us uh to make use of those of course there's been progress uh, in those areas too, and that's right. what we're trying to achieve. So, right, right. That's I think where we're at, and uh, you know, right now we here at AFB and others in the blindness world, others in the disability community, are continuing to work now, uh, you know, with with renewed vigor, as they say, uh, with the Senate staff to say, you know what, the 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 responsibility is really on you now uh, right. to come through and really put some definition, better definition. Uh, into legislation, whatever might get its way to Mr. Trump's desk, um, you know, uh, to make sure that our community can benefit ultimately one day from all of this stuff. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to be with us and talk about this very, very interesting topic and, you know, speculate about what, where the whole industry may be going, but yeah. also what could happen with the legislation and the importance of legislation, both on the federal and the state level. Yep. Um, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, you raise so many questions, and I'm sure this won't be the last time that we talk about this topic. <laughs> I think we'll be talking about it for a long I, time. I, I think we will. Hey, Mark, thank you so much. Appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. Okay, anytime. Page 3, The Sound Prince Calendar. September 13, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, Savvy, will hold a picnic from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time at the East Shelter at the Legion Park in Owensboro. There will be Lee's Famous Recipe Chicken, Dessert, and Drinks. Register by calling Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418. There will be no regular September 12 meeting at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church. On September 13, the KCBPR Membership Committee will meet at 8 p.m. by conference call at 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. On September 14, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold a support group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m., at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. For more information, contact 502-895-4598. On September 14, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its next meeting by conference call, 7 p.m. Eastern Time at 605-475-4700, intercode 155619. 
September 15 will be the GLCB roundabout and fall quarterly meeting. There will be roundabout activities beginning at 3.30. At 4.45, registration and the bargain table will begin. The program will start at 5.15, dinner at 6, and the business meeting will follow. All activities will end at 8.30 p.m. The cost is $5 per person, and the meeting is at United Crescent Hill Ministries. For more information, call the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind at 502-895-4598. On September 17, the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni will have its next board meeting at 8 p.m. by conference call 605-475-6006, and the code is 294444. September 18 is the monthly board meeting of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. At 7.30 p.m. by conference call 605-475-6006. On September 19, the Tri-State Library users invite you to a second presentation of reading with your Kindle app and Alexa. Call 605-475-6006. The call will be at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. On September 21, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired will have a booth at Senior Day Out in Owensboro from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Stop by their booth at Town Square Mall in Owensboro to learn about Savvy, pick up materials, and more. On September 21, the KCB Convention Planning Committee will meet at 7 p.m. by phone 605-475-6006. September 22, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have a roundabout with Education and Technology at 3.30, Discussion Time at 5, Page Turners, a chance to share your favorite books at 5.30, followed by a meeting of the Tri-State Library users, Dinner at 6, $5 per person, and Games and Crafts after dinner beginning at 7 p.m. Also, please remember to bring items that you wish to have read to Roundabout as we have a volunteer that assists each week with that activity. Roundabout is at United Crescent Hill Ministries and to sign up, call 502-895-4598. On September 23, there are a number of activities. Next Generation plans to hold its next dine-out on that day. For more information, contact Amanda Selm at alsmoot87 at gmail.com or give her a call at 502-750-1774. The Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold a support group meeting in the Covington area also on September 23. For information about time and location, contact Shirley Stivers at 859 859- 307-3720 or email Shirley at s stivers s s t i v e r s 77 at gmail.com and finally on September 23 the American Printing House for the Blind will hold Disability Rights Where Are We Now from 1 to 3 p.m. The passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990 established the basic civil rights of people with disabilities. 
What policy changes and practical steps come next? What can we learn from mistakes made in the past? And are the voices of people with disabilities being adequately included in these conversations? Come join in the discussion with our expert panel to answer these questions and more. At the American Printing House for the Blind in Louisville, admission is free, but registration is required. Call 502-899-2213 to sign up. This is best for adults and older children. On September 24, ACB Families will have its next peer support network call at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. This is an opportunity to discuss anything about being a blind, visually impaired, or sighted parent, grandparent, or guardian raising a blind, visually impaired, or sighted child. Call 712-432-3900 and enter code 796096. September 25 is the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana membership call, 7 p.m. by phone. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On September 27, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have its next peer support group meeting from 12 to 2 p.m. at the Bluegrass Council office, 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. For more information, call 859-259-1834. September 28 is the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision Support Group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. More information is available by calling 502-895-4598. On September 29, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have another roundabout, education and technology at 3.30, discussion at 5, dinner $5 per person at 6, and games and crafts 7 to 10. The main topic of that evening will be food. It will be held at United Crescent Hill Ministries. For more information, call 502-895-4598. Looking ahead to October, on October 1, the Greater Louisville Council will have its committee meetings by phone. Advocacy is at 7 p.m. And Education, Activities, and Technology, the EAT Committee, is at 8 p.m. Phone 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On October 3, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have a telephone support group and business meeting at 8 p.m. The telephone number is 605-475-6006 and you can enter code 294444 to join the call. On October 5, the American Council of Blind Lions will have its next conference call meeting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time at 712-432-3900. The code is 796096 and the program will be presented by a blind past district governor. On October 6, the next GLCB roundabout will take place. There will be education and technology at 3.30, discussion at 5, dinner at 6, and games and crafts from 7 to 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries, call 502-895-4598 for more information. On October 8, 
KCB Next Generation will have its monthly conference call at 8 p.m. 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. On October 10, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will have its October meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For information, call Rick Boggess at 270-684-4418 or Bill Roberts at 270-485-8170. On October 11, the KCBPR Membership Committee will meet at 8 p.m. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. The Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision Support Group will meet at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville on October 12 from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. For more information, call 502-895-4598. Also on October 12, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its next monthly conference call meeting at 605-475-4700, enter code 155719. The meeting takes place at 7 p.m. On November 17 and 18, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its 2017 convention at the Ramada Inn on Zorn Avenue in Louisville. Room rates are $80 per room for up to four people in a room. You can make reservations beginning September 15 by calling 502-897-5101. Be sure and mark your calendars for this event. And on December 2 is the All-Council Christmas Party in Louisville at United Crescent Hill Ministries. For more information, contact 502-895-4598. December 3 is the ACB Radio Holiday Auction. Beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern Time until midnight or until all items are sold. For more information, visit www.acb.org or see your current issue of the Braille Forum for more details. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, Call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.